Good morning. Thank you. So I was actually looking up church jokes. I was just curious to see what was out there. And some of them are pretty bad, guys. And so the, the closest one I saw was about Noah and a pair of chickens, but it was just too foul. So we are, thank you. So, so we are still in the series from me to we. Uh, and for this series, for, for me to we, for me, it starts with from you to other people, from me to other people, from how we treat other people. And all of that comes from Jesus, from Jesus working in our lives, from how we learn from his example, from how we are like Jesus. And so I'm going to read from probably my favorite story in the entire Bible. Uh, And this is John 4, verses 4 through 9. He had to go through Samaria on the way. That's Jesus. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? So I want to do a little history here first, because everybody likes history first thing in the morning, right? Uh, He was going through Samaria. Now, for us, we kind of get this because we've talked about the Good Samaritan. We've talked about uh, how the Jews and Samaritans didn't like each other. But I want to go into that a little bit. Most Jewish people, especially rabbis that would go in this area, completely avoided this area, avoided Samaria, because they had a deep distrust, because they had hatred. Uh, one of the things that I point out a lot, especially when I talk about it to the teens, the, the, there was a general saying or so uh, among Jewish people that if a Samaritan woman was giving birth and you're a Jewish doctor, you don't help because the best case scenario is you bring another Samaritan to the world. And that's deep hatred. Like, that's legit hatred. That's wrong hatred. Uh, But why? Why do they hate Samaritans? And, you know, there's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of things. None of them fully make sense, but it all comes from somewhere. When uh, Israel was exiled by Babylon, when Babylon took over, they basically left behind the lowest classes because Babylon didn't care about them. They're just like, hey, we're going to kick all the, the higher classes out and we're going to get rid of this and all of this. And then the lower classes were left behind and they intermarried with other people and they intermarried with other religions and all of these different things. And, and so when the Jews came back, there was a feeling of, you know, you changed. And also, like, you know, you got to stay here and things like that. And so like this deep hatred began and it just kept going and going and going. And then as for where we are here, near the well of Jacob, uh, this is where God first appeared to Abram in Canaan and renewed his promise. That's a major thing. It's where Abram and Jacob built an altar. It's where Joseph's bones were brought after he died in Egypt. Uh, It's where Joshua made a covenant with Israel. And it's where Jesus treated a Samaritan woman like a human being. And that is the key here. That is what we look at, how Jesus spoke to her, how Jesus treated her, how Jesus lived around her and set the example. Uh, And and you notice it says she came at the heat of the day at noon. Uh, Everybody here who goes to the wells at noon, right? No, we go in the mornings, right? And we go to get, well, okay. 
I know that we have tap water. I hear this thing, this is a side note, and I do that sometimes. Uh, the first thing I heard when I moved into this area, and this is the weirdest thing, and this may be an Ohio thing, was we have the best tap water. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And literally everyone that I talked to when I moved here from Indiana was like, we have the best tap water. None of you have basketball goals or anything, but you have the best tap water. And so I'm like, okay, whatever. Anyway, so uh, she came at the, the heat of the day at noon where it's the hottest because she was avoiding other people because she was hated even among the Samaritans. And we'll get to why in a second, but she was avoiding people. She was avoiding gossip. She was avoiding prying eyes. In fact, it's possible and maybe even probable that as she came here, the disciples walked by her going the other way and didn't say anything. Uh, now, I don't think they threw rocks at her. I don't think they yelled at her, but they just kind of ignored her. And yet, when she came here, there was Jesus. Now, by tradition, regardless of the feelings among Samaritans and, and Jews, by tradition, a rabbi would never speak to a woman in public, even his wife. I was paused for a second because I was curious if husbands would try to do anything that would get you in trouble. I'm glad you didn't. That was good thinking, guys. Although I saw Rob kind of raise his hand, but we're not going to go. Um, but even to his wife. So no woman. And so right away, this floors her. This floors her. So when she says what, what she says about why are you asking me for a drink, it's not like, hey, I've got, I'm busy. It's like, are you, do you see me? Do you really see me as a person? Are you really talking to me? Are you really speaking to me? But, but Jesus saw her. He saw her soul. He saw her as a person. He saw her as a human. He saw her as someone he loves. And so before anything else that we talk about, before anything else that Jesus says, before the point of his message, of this message, that respect, that kindness impressed the woman. And so she was listening because he showed her that she matters. He showed her that she's enough. He showed her that she's worth it. Probably, this is the first time I've worn glasses up here, and so I keep feeling them and forgetting that I have them on. Uh, I'll tell you later if I have time the story of why I have glasses, but we'll get to that. Because I know everybody's on, oh, I'm going to move to the edge of my seat now. I was with you then, but man, you mentioned why you have glasses. Okay. The most used phrase in Christian churches, definitely in America, but I would imagine around the world is that, like Jesus. We say it all of the time. Be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be more like Jesus. You should be like Jesus. All of this. We say it all of the time because that's what we're supposed to do. That's what Christian means. It's little Christ. It's being like Christ. It's being like Jesus. That's the entire point. I was curious while I was thinking about this and I, last week I was kind of looking up stuff. And so I have uh, a bunch of Facebook groups. I don't have them, but I found them, and we have a slide of them, theoretically, of different Facebook groups that are geared, there we go, that are geared towards Jesus. And there's not a point, like I'm not saying one is better than the other, blah, 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 I haven't even looked at them. I was just curious how many people like them. And so like the first one there, you can see that there's 34 million, then there's 2.4 million, etc. So like a lot of people like Jesus. So that's pretty easy. You can click like. You're good. You get the post. You see the, the daily things that you can forward and say, hey, if you love Jesus, forward this too. Blah, blah, blah. I also looked at Instagram. And I know some of you guys, I may lose at Instagram, but still, Instagram. Uh, this is just a hashtag Jesus. I'm going to go ahead and explain that and assume everybody knows what I'm still going to explain. It. Hashtag Jesus is basically something you put at the end of a post and it connects it to everything else that has hashtag Jesus. So anytime someone talks about Jesus on Instagram, they put a hashtag. 
There are 49.2 million posts at this time when I looked with Jesus, about Jesus or connected Jesus in some way. Now, that's a lot. Uh, that's not everybody, but that's a lot. That's a lot of posts. That's a lot of, of people talking about it because it is remarkably easy to click like. And it is remarkably easy to hashtag Jesus. And it is remarkably easy to say, I want to be like Jesus. And it's remarkably easy to, to say, you know, I like Jesus. But to actually be like Jesus, that's kind of tough. That's a, that's a hard thing sometimes. And so I ask you this, just the onset. How often do we act like Jesus in moments like this? With someone that, that Jesus, by all rights, should have hated. That everyone else in his position would have hated. Imagine that you're going to the well, or you're going to the water cooler, or you're going to the arcade, or you, I have no idea what adults do. You're going to wherever you go, work, I guess. And you see someone there who's alone and avoiding people. And this person is a, a Democrat, or a Republican, or a Libertarian, or a Green Party, whatever the opposite of your political views are. Or, this person's a Michigan fan. Or, worse of all, this person's a Purdue fan. So, like, they don't even have shoes on or anything. Anyway, this person, this person is everything that you hate. And, you know, you're like, I'm not supposed to hate anything. You're not. But this person is everything against you. They believe differently. They look differently. They act differently. They think differently. And you just do not like them. How do you act? Are you like Jesus in that moment? Because this woman was everything Jesus should not have spoken to. No other rabbi would have done that. No Pharisee, even the disciples probably wouldn't have done that at this point. Eventually they would. And yet Jesus showed her humanity. So in those moments, who are you? In the from me to we moments, in the from you to other people moments, are you like Jesus? Do you show this kindness, this respect, this love that we are called to do? Or do you just say, I like Jesus, I'll talk to you about him. I'm not going to show you him, but I like him. It's so vital. And I want to go to verse 10 as we get into their conversation. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you go or where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. I point out before I say what he said, this is a conversation. There's a back and forth. Jesus says something to her. She says something back. Jesus says something to her, she says something back. That's what a conversation is. And I'm not saying that because nobody here knows what it is, but I'm saying that because sometimes we don't know what that is. Because sometimes we get going and we get geared up and we're ready. And so we go into these moments, we go into these times, we meet people and we bulldoze through because we know we're right. And that's important. We have to live like we're right because we are. We live the right way because Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. That's, that's who we follow. But we get so caught up in the end result that we forget kind of the middle. And, and so we bulldoze through. And so we have our responses ready regardless of what we say. We, we have what we want to say. And we just keep going and going and going. And yet Jesus starts talking about living water. 
He makes her curious because he's talking about something that sounds amazing. Uh, and he's not talking about her. He's not shaming her. He's not saying what she did yet. He's not saying any of this. He's like, hey, if you knew who you talked to, man. Because he's legit. Because he treats her, again, like a person. He didn't call her out first. He didn't start with questioning her views. He didn't start with saying, you're so stupid. He didn't start with saying, I'm so awesome. He started with talking about what he represents, with showing humanity, with talking, with being honest, with being loving, with being Christian, with showing us this example. If you were to leave from here and post on anything on Facebook, Instagram, whatever, whatever else you post on TikTok, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go through these anymore, Snapchat, etc. Anyway, if you're going to post on something, a social media site, you could put clear instructions in your post, like, hey, everybody, share your favorite memory with me. I've seen that one before. Or, hey, share a GIF, it's GIF, I don't care what the creator said, it's GIF, of how we met. Uh, or share blah, blah, blah. You're going to have some of them. You're going to have people that do exactly what you said. You're going to have some people that question what you said. You're going to have some people that say something completely different. Because so often, we ignore the person we're talking to because we want to make our point, because that's vital. So often we go forward with our talk, with our result, with everything we want in mind, because it's important. But here's the kicker. The person is important. Who we serve is important. How we serve him, how we, we look like him, how we act like him, that's all important. But we get so caught up and the answer, which we have, that we forget that part of the answer is living out that life, showing humanity, showing love. Going to verse 15 as we continue this amazing conversation that I love. Theirs. Uh, Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. She's excited because it's cool, but also because she's, again, ashamed of herself and ashamed of her life and ashamed of what people thought of her and she's hurting. And so she's like, man, I have a way out. Uh, go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, uh, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. I want to note, point out first that, that Jesus pointed out what she'd done. But in the context of the conversation and not in a shameful way, he didn't call all the disciples in. He's like, hey, guys, listen, listen, you got to hear this. You got to be here to shame them. He didn't pull her up in front of the church. He didn't pull her up in front of her friends. Him and her talking alone. He shared what she had done. And he did it without shaming her. He did it without judging her. He did it without hatred in his voice. He just said what she did. I get it. We are in a society where it seems like people get offended pretty easily. And I see a lot of stuff about that. But here's what bothers me far more than that. Is I see so often Christians being offended because other people are offended. Do you follow the problem there? Christians showing this offensive anger because someone else was offended by something. And here's the thing. We are supposed to be different. We are called to be different. We are supposed to show Jesus. We are supposed to be like Jesus. And in this moment, what did Jesus do? Yeah, he told the truth. But not in a way to, to prove his rightness, because he knows he's right. 
but in a way to help her, in a way to show her humanity, to show her gentleness, in a way to show her what a witness means. Because we're supposed to be like Jesus, not to give in. And yes, not to give in to sin, but also not to give in to the ways of the world in terms of hatred and anger, in terms of judgment, in terms of all of that stuff that we see. We're called to be a witness. But not for our own good, not for ourselves. We're called to be a witness of Jesus, for Jesus and for their good. To show Jesus, to know Jesus, to make Jesus known. I've heard that somewhere. To be like Jesus in every way. And that's what he does. And sometimes we only focus on the part where he says, you've committed adultery several times. Because that's what we want. We want to get to the heart of the matter because we're in a hurry. I get that because I drive on 129 and... People don't understand the passing lane. They just don't. I don't know if it's different about Ohio, but, but guys, left lane is passing lane. Anyway, side note. So I get being in a hurry and wanting to get where we're going. I'm very much a from point A to B person. I recently went to Chicago on vacation, and I am not a, I'm going to stop here and rest. I'm going to stop here and do this. I stop when I have to get gas, and that's it. And if I didn't have to do that, I wouldn't stop. If I had one of those fancy cars they see on TV. I'm an A to B person. So I get that. But in loving other people, it's the journey part that matters. It's the love part that matters. If you're a parent, and I'm not, although I take care of Beatrice sometimes, and she likes Spider-Man, so clearly I have an impact. Uh, if you're a parent, you have major events of birth, makes you a parent, right? And graduation, which makes them an adult and they leave your house. Or stay in your house, whatever. Anyway, you're a parent. And so if you're just like, okay, they're born. Now I can't wait to get them graduated. As soon as they get graduated, we're done. What do you do in the middle? I would imagine most of the parenting comes between those two moments. Now, I have parents, and so I know that a lot of it still comes after graduation. But between those big moments, that's the journey, that's the love, that's the, the, the point where we make an example, where we set an example, where we help raise them. It's the same thing with everything else. Our end result, our hope for everyone is that they become a Christian, that they find salvation. Meeting them is the first step. That's the birth, so to speak. And we want to get so badly to where they're in church next to us and to where they're filling up the doors and where they're giving offering and where they're showing Jesus. We want that and we should. But we try to skip to it sometimes. And that's not something you can rush. It's not something Jesus rushed. Look how, how well he, and how intelligently and how wisely he led the disciples. Look how often Peter screwed up. And yet he led them along. He helped them. He built that relationship until one day, boom. But he planted the seed. And with this woman, it's the same thing. He tells the truth, yes. But he doesn't judge her. He doesn't hate her. He doesn't think, act like he's better than her. And Jesus is better than everybody. But he doesn't proclaim that. He just lives it. Going to the next verse, verse 19. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? Well, we Samaritans claim uh, it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, but we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. 
But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. For God is spirit, for those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. She was probably legitimately curious about this, about, about, about where to worship and everything, but she was clearly evading. He said something that made her uncomfortable. He pointed out, you know, this is what you've done. And she changes the subject immediately. It's kind of like if you're talking to someone out in the hall and you're like, hey, you know, I saw you robbing a bank the other day. Jim, I saw you robbing a bank the other day. And, and he's like, hey, you know, I wonder why we go into the, the, the CLC on, at 930 or I wonder that like, you know, clearly changing the subject. Now imagine with me, if instead of us being like Jesus, Jesus was like us here. And so he goes, well, actually, and he changes the subject back and he hits her over the head with, with the truth. And he just keeps beating. He's like, yeah, we'll talk about that later. Let's talk about what I just said. What do you think? You can't run away from this. Instead, what's he do? He talks to her again. He treats her like a person because he said what he said. He didn't change the truth. He didn't change who he is. He didn't change what he stands for. In fact, he ends this with saying, I am the Messiah. He made his point. He doesn't keep, need to keep repeating his point in order for it to be more valid because it's valid right away because this is Jesus. That has authority. We have authority in him. And what did he say? He said, you know, one day our differences aren't going to matter. Because every knee will bow. One day, all of this strife, everything about who does this how and who does this what, blah, blah, blah. That's not going to matter. All that matters is, do you follow Jesus? That's it. So let's cut to that day now. That's what we should be doing is understanding it's being like him. And that's what he talks about. That's how he shares. And let me tell you this. He wasn't just talking to this woman here. He was talking to us. Here today, he was talking to his followers, the disciples that would come. He was talking to everybody who ever read the Bible. He's talking to me. He's talking to you. He's talking to all of us saying, hey, it's about the relationship. It's not about proving that you're right. It's about living like you are. It's not about converting people. It's about loving them and showing them a need to be converted. It's not about building your case. It's about being like Jesus and showing his. And so he showed that. And he's talking to us here in, in the social media age, in the internet age, in the political age. Where no one agrees on anything. And if you disagree, then boom, you're the villain. I get that. That's not how Jesus sees things. And so he allowed her to change the subject. Again, not because he didn't care, but because he did. And so he's helping her and he's talking to her and he's caring for her. And in the same way he asked her for water, he's loving her and treating her like a human. He proclaimed the truth without judgment, without forcing it. Without needing to be seen as right, because again, he knows he is. If you are right, you don't need to walk around all the time saying, I am right. You just are. That doesn't mean you never argue. It doesn't mean you ever debate. It doesn't mean you never talk about it. I get that. No. But it means what is your purpose for talking about it? 
so that people will see you and be like, that's who converted me. So people will see you and be like, man, they made such a stellar argument. They really know their stuff. Or so people won't even see you. They'll see Jesus. So that's what we're supposed to do. That's who we're supposed to be. These last few years have been difficult and weird. We had a time where we're all away from everything and and there's a pandemic going on and people had different views on that. I'm not getting into that. But a time where things were shut down and where we kind of life is different. And we're still kind of getting back into a, a new normal or into the way things were, whatever, however you want to look at it. We're still kind of recovering from that. It's been a combative time. A time again where if you disagree, you're the bad guy. Either way, I'm sure that some of you have been treated like that too. It's been a time of the unknown. So how have we responded? As Christians, how have we responded? Have we checked the like Jesus box on Facebook? Have we hashtagged Jesus? Have we talked about Jesus or have we lived like Jesus? Have we treated other people like Jesus? Have we allowed our differences to separate us? Or to give us this chance to show humanity and love? Have we been like Jesus? I will say this. It's been discouraging at times. Uh, I don't get on Facebook much anymore. I try to avoid social media because... But it's been discouraging at times. To see Christians and all around the world in one breath post love Jesus blah 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 and in the next breath post how much they hate this person they met it's been discouraging I'm sure Jesus felt discouragement too when, when he would see what the Pharisees did or what other some of his followers would do I know that he felt it with Judas like all of these things but to see everyone especially Christians so ready to hate That hurts. It it, it hurts. And I'm not perfect by any means. There are people that can give you a list of how I'm not perfect. But Jesus is. And his love for us is. And the way we can show that is. Because the question we have to ask. Do we want others to see us? Or do we want others to see Jesus? Do we want others to come to Christ to be like us? Or do we want them to come to Christ to be like him? And I get it. It's hard to live in this world. And sometimes it's a tightrope. And sometimes it's a big uphill battle. And sometimes it feels like both our hands and feet are tied behind our back. And yet, Jesus was chased down every moment of his life. Threatened with death. Yelled insults and, and hatred at That worked. Told that he's a liar. Told that he's a demon. Told all of these things. And yet, what did he do? Every single step of the way. Lived out the truth. Lived out the life. Showed love. Showed respect. Showed kindness. Showed humanity. Lived how we must live. And so no matter how hard it is, there is a light. And I want to go to that. And this is the last scripture. Uh, John 4, 39 through 42. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days. 
long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Uh, Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. The same Samaritans that were hated by the Jewish people, the same Samaritans that hated this woman. When she came back from talking to Jesus, she was so changed. She was glowing. She was overflowing with his love, with being treated like a human for maybe the first time in her entire life. For being shown respect for maybe the first time as an adult. And they saw that before she said anything, before they heard Jesus. They saw that and then they came to hear him. Because they saw the change he had made in her. They saw her life. She didn't have all the answers. She didn't know everything. She wasn't able to quote scripture. And yet they saw the change in her life. They saw how Jesus' kindness, love, respect, truth had affected this woman. That is the goal, ladies and gentlemen. That is what we are supposed to do. That is how we are supposed to do it. And it says Jesus is the Savior of the world. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Not me, not you, not any pastor, not any speaker, not any athlete, not any celebrity, not any political leader. Jesus is the Savior of the world. That's who we must be like. That's how we must live. That's how we must show. So to allow anything else to change that in our lives is wrong, period. To allow anything else to affect how we show Jesus to others is wrong. To allow anything else to to make us say, well, I want to be like them, and then one day I'll be like Jesus. No. We are to be like Jesus. We can all be better. Every one of us. We can all be better always. That's the amazing thing about life. It can be discouraging and it can be hard and it can be scary. But the amazing thing is we, as long as we are alive, as long as we have breath, we always have a chance to do better. We always have a chance to be forgiven, to forgive. We always have a chance to be more like Jesus. And that's what we have now. As the world comes back together, as the world goes on, we have this chance to come out of a moment when everybody felt the same trauma, when everybody dealt with the same thing for maybe the first time ever. We have this chance to show Jesus to that world in the way he showed himself to this woman at the well. We have a chance to spread humanity, to spread love, to spread truth, to be more like him, to be together. And here's the thing. Uh, One of the things, I've had other jobs in my life. I am a trained and licensed counselor as well. One of the things that I know from that, and one of the things that if you've been to counseling or you know counseling, you know this, insight. It's not the same thing as change. Insight is knowing, well, you know, I need to be more like Jesus. Yeah, we all know that. We we always know that. Change takes work. And it takes effort. And it means that before we've had our morning coffee, or when Ohio State loses, or when Indiana loses, although not in basketball, when Indiana has trouble, when our uh, politics go wrong, when anything, that we still have to be like Jesus to people. It's not, oh, well, I had a bad day, so I can be a jerk all day. You're going to sometimes, but you got to apologize. It's... Knowing that insight of, I need to be more like Jesus. 
and then actually doing what you need to do to change it, doing what you need to do to live it out, doing what you need to do to figure out where do I struggle? What type of person or what type of belief or what type of situation rubs me the wrong way? And how can I overcome that? How can I work with Jesus and allow him to change me and allow him to affect me and allow him to, to help me to be more like him? And that's a personal thing, but it all starts with that insight of I need to be more like Jesus and then that willingness to do. It is a difficult world. It is. And as you go from here, even this morning, you're going to face things that really test you. They push your limits. There are going to be people that do not care how you treat them, and they're going to treat you like garbage. I say again, anything we face, Jesus faced worse. And he did it for us so that we would have this chance to show him to a world that so desperately, desperately needs to see more of him. That's our calling. That's who we are. That's why we say, like Jesus, not for a hashtag, not for a group, but to live that life each and every day and to show others humanity, to show others love in a world where it's missing. That's all I got.